HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. It's our 14th year on Heritage Radio Network. It's Wednesday, June 28th, 2023. We're doing a remote recording. I'm talking with a special guest uh, who I know from the beer industry for a long time. Um, Greg, will you introduce yourself, please? Sure. Hey, Jimmy. Thanks for having me on uh, again. I'm Greg Engert, uh, beverage director and partner for the Neighborhood Restaurant Group. We have... um, a ton of uh, places in the D.C. area, but also in New York, uh, Grand Delancey, and uh, most recently down in New Orleans with uh, Brewery St. X. Yeah, I've never I've never done a one-on-one with you, so th- this is going to be fun. Um, you know, the people in the beer world know about Church Key, um, and I first met you when you opened Grand Delancey a few years ago. Um, one thing I, I've always noted about you, besides your beer knowledge— is is your hospitality and uh we've we've done recent shows about um master cicerones and 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 other higher level you know skills of of this industry but for me number one is hospitality and um you know there's a lot of us work in the industry a lot of us have our own places but to see that you know where you've grown from dc to new york and now new orleans it's quite amazing um just give us, since we've never really done this, just give us your little backstory and, and, and how you got involved in the first place, because you you are an inspiration for a lot of people. Thank you for saying that. It's awesome. I mean, you know, it's it's so funny. Like, the hospitality thing is most important. Um, you know, no matter how much we all love beer or wine or cocktails or food or food pairing with beverage or, you know, at the end of the day, making people have an amazing time is why all of us are in this business. Um, and, uh, at the end of the day, that's why everybody goes out to eat and drink. Uh, they, they want to know people. They want to get to know, uh, their bartenders. They want to get to know the, these managers, the servers, and they want to, they want to come back away from everything with like a really memorable experience. And, um, 
that's something that I think has been driving me for over 20 years now and, and definitely something that uh, we strive for every every single day at all of our restaurants. Um, I, I'm a, a failed academic, I guess you could say. <laughs> I, uh, moved down, I moved down to D.C. in 2002 to pursue, you know, graduate work in uh, English literature. Um, I was supposed to be a, an English professor, I guess. Uh, kind of burn out quick on that and then ended up working at uh, the famed Brickskeller, which is unfortunately no more, but, you know, it was America's first beer bar. It uh, opened in 1957 in uh, the DuPont Circle neighborhood of Washington, D.C. Even back then, it had like 30 different beers in bottles or cans. Um, and uh, they continued to just do great work with beer for for almost uh, well, for 50 years. Um, and, uh, you know, they had, uh, when I started working there in 2004, uh, when I left grad school, we had like 2000 different beers and bottles and cans on the menu, which is so incredible now because people, you know, really don't serve bottles and cans as much as they used to. They, they, we didn't even have draft beer at the downstairs wow. bar. Um, but yeah, that's where I cut my teeth. I mean, I, I was able to, to meet everyone there. Uh, Michael Jackson, when he would come to the States to do his annual tastings, you know, the first beer tasting, uh, sit-down beer tasting that was ever hosted in in the U.S. was hosted at the Brickskeller in the early 80s. Um, and so Garrett Oliver, Sam Colagione, Tommy Arthur, Vinnie Chalurza, you name it, Ken Grossman, the, the, the best of the best, they were coming through Kim Jordan, um, and I was able to, uh, uh, to meet them, pick their brains. I mean, this is before the internet, right? Like in the early 2000s, <laughs> like I, I was reading celebrator beer news and, and, and mid Atlantic, <laughs> uh, you know, beer news and reading all of Michael Jackson's books and Roger Pratt's books and all this stuff is just like getting obsessed with beer. But remember back then people, it wasn't a, a profitable thing, right? In the early 2000s. Like, it was like, uh, as you know, <laughs> uh, it wasn't like a thing that it was a, a bunch of us crazy kind of zealots pushing for this thing, hoping it would become big. It did. And there's been some good and bad with that, but um, you know, it's, uh, it was just something that, that allured me, but all, but, but, but all along the way, it was always about, talking to people, making them happy, and, 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 and knowing that they would go home being like, that was, that was fun. I want to go do that again, you know? Um, that's how I got my start. Then I met Michael Babin, who's uh, the founder of our of neighborhood restaurant group, um, and uh, we hit it off and, and just kind of went from there, um, opening all these different places over the next 20 years. But, um, yeah, that's kind of my start. Oh, it's it, it's a great it's a great start. You know, it shows that you really did cut your teeth and you really got to know the industry and and the craft. Um, I remember the first time I met you was was right when you were opening Grand Delancey in, in New York City, and um, you you were met. We you know I was I was you recognized me right away, and of course you had something like just a wonderful kind of amber lager that that was in the perfect glass, and uh, you, you made me feel at home. Um, and then it turns out that you had some really great people working with you, which is, seems to be a big part of your success. For sure. I mean, how, how do you do that with, in the different roles you have, different partners? You know, um, how do you divvy that up? Because a lot of people starting out, you know, I remember stories of friends that opened bars and, and, you know, they had never quite worked out 
who really was good at what. Yeah, I mean, you, you uh, again, it's, it's you know, uh, it's about making people happy, but it's about making your staff happy, making them love coming to work every day. And to your point, you know, I mean, Alex Ollie is uh, one of the guys that helped us open Grand Delancey, a close friend of mine and uh, a great guy. And it, it, you got to find the right people. I mean, especially for us. I mean, we have, we have 24 different <laughs> restaurants, bars, wine shops, you know, uh, throughout the D.C. area, plus New York and New Orleans. Like for us to be able to do that, it all comes down to finding incredible talent. You know, people who are um, going to be able to work with us and, and execute the vision, but it's a shared vision. It's not like we're, we're going to somebody being like, this is what we want. And they're, you know, perfunctorily just like going through with this. They, they, they believe in the same goals. Um, as you know, I mean, like in restaurants, there's great restaurants, there's okay restaurants, there's mediocre restaurants, but some of them get it and some don't. Um, and we've been incredibly lucky to, to, to make a lot of friends in the industry like yourself and, uh, and, and you know, just to, 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 to know who's, who's out there, who's looking to, to share the vision and go along with us. And without them, it wouldn't be anything like we have. I mean, in, in DC, for instance, we have, uh, Tim Liu is our beer director. I mean, he's running the beer programs for seven years now. Bruno Simois is the assistant beer director. I mean, you know, we have uh, Ro Gunzel, our director of brewing operations that oversees both of our breweries, plus Alex Flores down in, in New Orleans uh, running the show at Brewery St. X. We could not do everything we do without without these people. Um, and uh, they're, they're, they're the heart and soul of our business every day. So I think, you know, it, it, it can't be uh, overstated how important it is to be able to find these great, um, you know, uh, people to work with and, and to have them share in, in the efforts. And, um, and I think for our group too, we're really excited because a lot of our people have been here for years and years and years. So I think we're doing something right um, in that regard. No, oh, that's great. And you guys weathered uh, COVID and everything mm -hmm. and you're going strong. It's, it was really a thrill a few months ago to get an email from someone on your team about a, a place that you're opening in New Orleans. And I've never been to New Orleans, but it's got this mythic imaginary, you know, imaginary world in my head because of chefs I've known, chefs that have come from there to New York that I've met. Uh, one time I sublet a, a kitchen to some New Orleans guys. So I got a, I got cool. a real sense of the, the old school cooking, veal stocks and and other things. Um, I never I never had a chance to go down there and have a drink. <laughs> um, our good friend Ray Dieter, who co-starred yeah. this uh podcast with me years ago his dba i i think they're still going strong down there in in new orleans uh, one of the greatest places in the world is dba in in new orleans i mean it's just like uh incredible um i can't believe you haven't been there i mean we gotta we gotta fix that <laughs> i gotta go you know it's, it's also like it's one of those things you know when you're in the industry i usually had one place and when you're in one place you know, you, you you do tend to not go too far from home. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. You know, you, you usually can't get away. And, uh, but New Orleans, yeah. So, um, you know, let, let's talk about the charm of it and uh, how that project happened because for sure, Brewery Saint X, and it's on my it's on my list now. Yeah, and I would love to have you down. I mean, it would be you would you would love it, but it's you know, it's a it's a it, there's no place like it in the world. I used to say there's no place like it in the U.S., but I, I really believe there's no place like it in the world. 
And I, I, I mean that uh, with the utmost respect and adulation for New Orleans. Um, it's, it's an unbelievable place. Now, and I'll say too, you know, Ray Dieter, you just mentioned, it, it's so interesting. You know, I mentioned Michael Jackson earlier and uh, Roger Pratt. And I mean, we could go on and on with these old names from the, from the business, but I think, you know, Ray, Ray, what Ray did for, for craft beer uh, was massive, obviously in New York with the original DBA, but even now, you know, down in DC, uh, I'm sorry, down in New Orleans, you know, when you go there, DBA is on uh, Frenchman Street. It's it's one of the one of the greatest music venues in New Orleans. There's incredible music happening there every night. But and you'll love this, you can get Chimay Red on draft. At this wow. place, uh, yeah, it's like uh, you can get bottles of Orval even now because you know obviously when they first opened it was like a beer bar, beer bar, but it's becoming rarer and rarer to find, you know, bottles of Cezanne Dupont just like at a at a one of the world's best music venues. That's like I mean, you know what I mean. So so we go in there, we we go down there, we go to we go to DBA, uh, you know, especially around Mardi Gras. But I mean you name it, we're always in there and we're just drinking Orval. And it's, it's crazy out of the bottle, you know, in, into the right glassware. Well, we're watching stuff. So anyways, I mean, New Orleans is, um, it's singular. There's no, there's no place like it in the world. We started going there. Um, I, I mentioned Michael Babin, my partner, who's the founder of our company. He's from Baton Rouge originally. And his, um, um, parents, uh, taught at LSU and, uh, you know, he, he went to school up north and, and, and settled in the D.C. area, but he's had, uh, you know, huge roots down there, lots of family. And, um, you know, so I had never been to New Orleans, you know, 10 years ago. And he was like, you got to go. It's unbelievable. Let's go down. And we started going down. One of the reasons we went down was because with Blue Jacket, our original brewery in D.C., we were doing this collaboration beer every year with a great brewery out of Shreveport, Louisiana, um, in northern Louisiana called uh, Great Raft Brewing Company. And we would do a, a collab every year, and then we would launch it on the balcony of uh, the Avenue Pub, which was one of America's uh, most amazing beer bars for a long time. It's changed hands recently. Um, and maybe doesn't have exactly the, the craft beer focus it once did, but Polly Watts was, was just crushing it there for so many years. And so we started going every single year down there for the first weekend of Mardi Gras. And I just fell in love with it. And, and we always said to each other, it was like, man, we'd love to do something down here. And as, as it turned out, we were able to, and it was great. But I mean, you won't really find, everybody knows about the, the, the food and beverage in New Orleans. It, it, it's, it's just uh, the most amazing and impressive thing. But the people are, 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 are really what, 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 what makes New Orleans even more incredible. Um, it, oh, it's just great. a great place. Yeah. So, so who's, who's yeah. on your team down there? If, if I go down, who am I going to ask for? Well, yeah. So I mentioned uh, earlier, Alex Flores is our, 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 our head brewer, our lead brewer. He's amazing. And then Matt Gabriel is our uh, general manager. He's you know, worked at the Donald Link restaurants for years and years, which is, I mean, our, those guys are heroes to us. Cochon, Cochon Butcher, um, Herb St. Pesh. This is some of the best restaurants around. Um, so, you know, Matt is an, uh, just a, a wonderful guy. He, he runs a great operation down there. But then, you know, our chef is, is this guy named Shannon Bingham. 
And, you know, we're, so we're, we're operating Brewery St. X side by side with a, a, a barbecue concept called Devilman Barbecue. And oh, that's um, cool. It's really cool. We share a kitchen and Shannon Bingham is the chef in charge of both. So if you go to Devilman, you can just get like fantastic um, barbecue. You know, obviously it's leaning towards um, Central Texas with a hint of, of Carolina, like most do now. But we're also folding in like really incredible, you know, Louisiana styles, smoked meats and things like that, um, playing around with that. So he's, uh, Shannon, Shannon's done it all. He's a fantastic guy, super smart, um, and, uh, a great, a great cook, a great chef. So it did that. And then at the restaurant, you know, it's a full blown, uh, brewery bar and restaurant, brewery St. X's. So it's, it's one, it's all in one. You've got, you can go in and get get food and drink in oh, one Oh, for sure, space. yeah, 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 exactly. But um, yeah, so Brewery St. X is like it's not like it's happening. It's not like one of these places where you know people just brew some beer, put out a couple uh, folding tables and some T-shirts, and, and just sell beer. No, it's <laughs> it's a it's a full blown restaurant and bar. It's it's a gorgeous place. Um, it's, it, so what, it, what's the aesthetic? Know. I always think about these grand old New yeah. Orleans places, and someone's got at least a smart smart apron and, and a rolled up their sleeve shirts or something. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing because of the French influence down there. Uh, it, it does tend to lead, lean a little bit like bistro brasserie, but we, and, and, and then that's kind of how we went, but we wanted to modernize it a little bit. So it's not quite that serious, but it has a kind of modern brasserie look to it. Uh, and, and, you know, hundreds of bottles of whiskey on the wall, Incredible cocktails from my um, spirits director, Nick Farrell, up here in D.C. Uh, fantastic uh, focus list of natural wines from my wine director, Aaron Dudley. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a restaurant and bar that happens to make world-class beer. That's how I would, I would say it, you know. Um, and, and there's not a lot of that in New Orleans. I mean, it's, there's a lot of great breweries down there, Parlo being one of my favorites, uh, and courtyards fantastic as well, but they're not, you know, they're, they're like breweries with tap rooms. They're not like trying to offer that whole experience. And, and, you know, and honestly, maybe we're wrong to do that. It seems like the world has, has moved away, but a lot of our guests are loving it right so far. So it's been great. No, it, it seems like you're, you're getting all the angles. Uh, so the brewery itself, let's talk about the beers and then we'll go back over different concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what's what's on the tap list are you only serving um the brewery saint x beers there yeah for sure yeah only only brewery saint x i mean we have the ability to serve other beers if we wanted to but we're really focused on on, on the, the beers that we produce in-house and as it's a, it's a full range of styles or are there certain styles that that he's focusing on so it's definitely a full range because you know, that's one of the great things about craft beer is like we can offer so many different flavor profiles for, you know, so many different people. But the focus really is on classic styles. So we have, you know, five um, side pole taps um, that we dispense long aged, naturally carbonated step mash into cocktail lager uh, from. And then we have wow. uh, so there's five of those and we have an additional um, nine beers that we serve just, you know, um, from, from draft as well. A lot of hop forward beers, um, some hazy, some not, um, classic Saison and, and, and Vice beer, 
um, some stouts, things like that. Uh, and then uh, even fruited sours. So we love those. All natural ingredients. We're not messing with, you know, marshmallow, um, you know, flavorings and things like that. But we're, do, we're, we're producing incredibly thick, amazing fruit-based sours that we source the fruit from, you know, uh, Pacific Northwest primarily. Um, and then uh, a couple of um, British-style Cascales, traditional real ale at all times. Um, so, you know, the, the focus really here is on lager and British-style cask beer. Um, but, of course, we make and love making and drinking, you know, some of the other fun stuff that's come around over the last few years, like hazy IPA, fruited sours, and, like... Wow. Yeah, we, we um, did a couple of cask episodes in May, and um, they, everyone kept bringing up your name. So... <laughs> Let's talk about the cast programs that you've done before and, you know, why it's important to you. Because I know that we've pretty much figured out that you really have to do it well yeah. or it's not worth doing at all. Exactly. And, and it's so funny. I, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, excited to hear my name is brought up, but it's also like <laughs> I wish more people's <laughs> names would come up. Like, it's so funny. Cask is, you know, I mean, as Americans, we're constantly borrowing things from from other places, right? We're a nation of immigrants, always have been, and that's one of the best things that makes us who we are. We are all coming from someplace else and all uh, hopefully able to include uh, opinions, voices, people, you know, from other places. And that's what I think is so cool about the craft beer industry, at least it once was, um, was that we're drawing on all these different traditions. And and adding our voice to it for sure, but still drawing on them and still paying proper homage to, the, you know, the fact that the Brits make fantastic uh, mild ale <laughs> or, or that the Czechs make incredible um, lager. Uh, you know, Belgians make bone dry, hopefully, uh, bone dry, hop forward, you know, saisons and things like that. So um, cask has been one of those things. We just won't let it go, I think I would say. Um when I when I started back in the early 2000s in all this, cask was bigger, but a lot of times it was just because you know again we didn't have the the huge amount of American breweries that we have now, right? I mean probably back in the early 2000s we had like 1,200 breweries in, in the U.S. Maybe I don't know the exact number, but now there's almost 10,000. Um, so we had to draw on influences from around the world, and we had to showcase. Uh, flavor profiles from around the world. I wish more people still did that. I wish more brewers still tasted those things when they're, you know, so many times people are coming out with like uh, rock beer or, or milds or bitters or, or, you know, you name it. And I just can tell that they've never actually tasted those things um, locally. Uh, but anyways, I digress. The, the, the thing is that with British style, Cascale, it's, it's something you can't do at home. So even as, you know, the, the, the tradition of retail uh, beer has really taken off in the U.S. and 16-ounce cans and everything else. And everybody was lining up for a time and bringing things back to their house. It, you could never pour a cask at your house. I mean, some people could, but very few do. And I was kind of stuck on that. Like, this is what the publicans are still here for. If we can properly dispense cask ale and people like it, which is part of the thing, you know, uh, and, and understand it, they're going to come to us for it. And, and that, and that's been the case. I mean, we still pour, um, 
a ton of cast beer in D.C. at places like Church Key you mentioned. But we have a low ABV beer bar called Shelter. Um, Blue Jacket pours Cascale. We have Cascale, of course, at Brewery St. X in New Orleans. Um, it's just, it's amazing. It, it, it delivers flavors in a way that no other um, dispensing method can. And even though it's kind of a historic accident uh, that we ended up with this thing, when you drink British-style bitter on cask, it just, it's the roundness of the malt. Um, it's slightly chilled, but not too cold, not too warm. The aromatics are there, but it's just, it, it, it hits differently than, than it would on draft or from bottle or can. And I can tell you also, you know, we've been leaning on our, our buddies from Sierra Nevada, one of the greatest breweries in the world, to send us pale ale casks. Um, and they do from time to time. And drinking that on cask is just like, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's just so good. Yeah, how is how is that on cast? Because I would think that there's this American hoppiness to it. Yeah, it's all everything is subtle. And that's the thing about cask. It, it brings everything down five notches. It, 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 it subdues all the flavors. It brings everything into focus. Um, you know, because cask ale is like, it's all naturally carbonated. So, so it's just this creamy effervescence that's not too intense, but it's certainly not still or flat. Um, and, and at the temp of about 52 degrees, which is what really we aim for 50 to 52, a little bit colder than I think some do these days. It's just so like creamy, drinkable, um, delicious, and it softens the bitterness. You know, I, I mentioned earlier side pulls and we can talk about that later, but you know, when you pull, when you pull a lager through a side pull, it also kind of softens the bitterness. Um, and I think that's what Cass does for Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. It's, it's amazing. Wow. So back to Cass. So is, is drinking Cass Gale, is that a, a thoughtful, uh, you know, way to drink? Yeah. I mean, I think it has to be because it's not like, it's certainly not a popular way to drink, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine, I think about, you know, you're, you're, you're having that drink. And it's it's a perfect cast. In my case, it's been an English cast that made it over, you know, yeah. Coniston bitter or something yeah. like that. And just knowing that that it was it was right on the temps right, conditioning's right. Um, I I can say I've only had something like that a few times in my life. And Which, yeah, I think I had reached the point like a lot of people maybe 10, 12 years ago when I just didn't want to even see a cask cask anything in an American pub. Right, because you knew it was probably going to be off, uh, and that's the thing. It's like we really, we really strive not to serve uh, a double IPA or a triple IPA on cask with a bunch of adjuncts in the cask. And you know, th so there's two things going on here. In the old days, cask ale was uh, a way before brewers started to like release new cans every day. It was the way to take your existing beer and spike it with something interesting and cool. And I'm not, I'm not hating that. I, I, I thought that was fun. You know, so you would take uh, an IPA and you might put it on cask five different ways, you know, with different ingredients and things like that. Um, and then eventually people got hip to the idea that people love that and they just started canning different variations and things like that. But that's what cask did for a long time. And I'm with you. It, it, that wasn't really that interesting. That was it was just a way, basically, I think, for American brewers to highlight different ingredients. 
So it got away from that. And then for, for like, for people like us, we always loved classic styles. You mentioned Connison. You know, I think of like when I go over there uh, to England and stuff, having like Timothy Taylor landlord or the greatest bitter in the world, which is the Harvey's um, bitter. Uh, that's different. And, and, and you're right. And, and Harvey Stewart from Scotland would send over some amazing casks. And sometimes they would be great. But other times they'd be they would get old or they wouldn't sell through on 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 the pumps as much as they should have, um, and they would have to like you know be uh, tossed out. So I think that I'm with you. I mean, I, I realize why people kind of were like, "I'm done with that." But I think there's a small uh, group that's rapidly growing of of American brewers uh, and publicans who are interested in cask again making Cascale, serving it, and then doing it the right way, making sure that it tastes fantastic all the time. I mean, I would say Good Word Brewing Company um, is one that's doing cask really well. And then also uh, Brickstore Pub in in, in Duluth, uh, Georgia, outside of Atlanta. They're they're really committed to it as well. And those are the guys we had on the show in May. (laughs) Oh, yeah. There you go. Um, They love you. But um, I could talk more about cast, but we did on that episode. I want to go back to hyping up New Orleans. Um, th- there is a mystique to it. Um, yeah. I-, I don't think of it the way most people did. I don't think of it as beads and um, that. I-, I think of it as a really rich cultural place. And I think yes. about the food. I-, I, have, I knew someone that was working for a nonprofit that was really trying to, to get chefs in New Orleans to, to cook with the, the native fish and even some seafood that was um, invasive. Um, mm. I don't know how much of this, your menu is seafood and, and you know, there's obvious ones. What are the obvious seafood dishes that are there? And, um, you know, what, what are you guys doing with the menu? Well, I mean, like, you know, there's uh, New Orleans is, again, uh, like you said, it, it is like an incredible place for food and beverage, but also for music and also for like um, people. It's one of the places, you know, after the, after the pandemic hit, uh, I can tell you DC and, and I think in New York too, it lost a lot of its um, service industry people, you know, people who were like interested in bartending and serving and uh, cooking, washing dishes, running food, making restaurants hum. It kind of, it, it definitely went away a bit and it's still a struggle to find the right people um, in these areas. New Orleans didn't as much in my opinion. And I think one of the reasons for that is that in New Orleans, people respect and appreciate the food culture uh, and the restaurant culture in a way that's been uh, really, really kind of mind blowing to me. I, I didn't realize that when I, uh, going down there, I knew the food was amazing. I mean, the corner bars have fantastic gumbo. You know what I mean? It's like one of those things, but yeah. I didn't realize that. And now it's like, if you're a server or a bartender in, in New Orleans, that's like a, a profession. It's it's lauded. People respect you for that in a way that they I wish they did around the world more. But in New Orleans, it's still like that. So it, I think it's drawing in a lot of, you know, people who want to, who want to, Make food, serve food, serve drinks in a way that you don't see around uh, elsewhere. So that's what I, one of the things it has going for us for it. Plus, it's 
kind of better weather. I mean, it's warmer, but now I think it's like 120 degrees there today, but you know what I mean? And, uh, and, and you can afford to live there. That's another thing that's really important about New Orleans for the time being. Um, but yeah, as far as food goes, you know, on the barbecue side, uh, for Devilman Barbecue, we're all meat-based, but on the, the restaurant side, yeah, we're, we're, we're working with everything. I mean, Shannon is, is, is going uh, all in on local sourcing, um, utilizing great, uh, like you said, like seafood and stuff that's, that's, that's local, but you know, it's, it's, it's an incredible, uh, place for, for not just for, for food and, um, you know, like ingredient driven food, but also just for technique. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. Okay. The, the big quiz is, do you know what barbecue shrimp is? Oh Yeah. What's oh, yeah. barbecue shrimp? Because there's no, it doesn't go in a smoker. Oh, it has nothing to do with barbecue. I mean, it's like it's like a, a kind of a sweet and spicy sauce over the, the shrimp that's been steamed, right? Yeah, and, it, and it's it's got a, a really rich butter sauce, so that's how it's supposed to be. Exactly, and it's 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 quite amazing. You pick it out and you peel them, um, and you have you know crusty bread, and you dip it in. Um, Something fun, something fun for everyone. And I would say about I, New I, Orleans I, food, like if you leave New Orleans, your palate is is a disaster. It's it's totally overwhelmed. Like all the food in New Orleans is just like big. Everything is big. You know what I mean? Like from from gumbo to etouffee uh, to po'boys, like everything is massive in flavor. Um, and when I come home from from work trips down there uh, to DC, I have to like uh, eat you know, basic stuff for a while just to like come down from it. I mean, it's that intense. Um, and it's just, it's, it's truly remarkable what they do down there. It's like a high culinary IQ. Oh, kind yeah. Of. Oh, yeah. oh, no. Like beyond a doubt. Like, and like I said, they're drawing chefs. I can't tell you, you know, the amount of chefs I run into down there that used to work in DC or New York is, is like astonishing. It's so cool. They're like, yeah, you know, we cut our teeth at, you know, you name it, Jean George, whatever. And then we came down here, and these people, these men and women, they're they're, they're cooking your food daily in New Orleans. I mean, it's it's really uh, unbelievable. It's so cool. Um, so well, you, and then you, the, you, the you go in there, man. Na- neighborhood restaurant group opening in New Orleans is significant. And you know, I want I want to give you guys put you in the spotlight because. As I said, when we first started talking, hospitality, you, you guys as operators. I mean, you, you came up when you did Grand Delancey in, in New York. I mean, that, that was a space and a new development. And, and I didn't know any New York City-based operator that was really up for the challenge of that. And, and you guys did, did a great job. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, we, we, went, we went all in. I think that's always our thing is we're trying to figure out ways to open cool spots like across the country um in places that we love and that we feel like we can contribute to you know what i mean like when we opened grand alancy uh new york and when we opened bruce st x on in, in new orleans we felt like that was missing like there wasn't something like that and and i think that that's really what we're trying to do um you know it's i mean never say never but we don't typically go to some of these places that have a million beer bars or a million breweries or a million barbecue joints or, you know what I mean? Like we're really selective about where we go. Um, but we want to be a part of the scene that we really appreciate. 
as well. Well, listen, Greg, we're off to a great start. We're going to take a few minutes. We'll be back on Beer Sessions Radio. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Hey, support us and become a member at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. There's over 30 podcasts from the world of food, farming, cocktails, wine, and beer on heritageradionetwork.org. So I've got Greg Anger from the Neighborhood Restaurant Group. Uh, you know them as Church Key or New York Grand Delancey, but they just opened up uh, in New Orleans, uh, the brewery St. X. And we're having a great one-on-one, our first time getting to talk to each other. So, Greg, um, l- let's talk about some of the different kind of beer styles and categories. Since, since we kind of got an overview of Brewery St. X and why you guys went to New Orleans. So um, you've been talking about side pour lagers. Um, it, it, they're hot. You know, I've been to Notch Brewing up up here. Um, what is it about that side pour? I mean, I know it, it 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 tastes great. What is it about the style and the history of side pour, and why is it why is it? I mean, I want to drink that all the time. It's um, you know, it, it's something again. It was just so fascinating. It's like twenty years ago when I got started in this, nobody had even heard about a side pour faucet <laughs> from the Czech Republic. I mean, at the same time, it was like Czech beer really wasn't all that. Uh, known um, or discussed. So it's an amazing uh, influence on the craft beer scene in America. And what it does is it dispenses beer, again, like just like Cascale, in a way that is unique, singular. So when you pull a, a side pull uh, of lager, you actually bring out foam first and then the rest of the beer, um, which is important because it tells you how much, how important foam is, but there's a, um, there's a small like screen in the side pull faucet that uh, causes some agitation. So as you're pulling the beer through, you're getting this really incredible uh, like moose like uh, head on the beer. It's big, it's foamy, but it's soft and, and and rich on the palate. And it's something that you simply would not generate from pouring a beer uh, through a standard uh, tap or out of a standard bottle or out of a standard can. Um, so that's really cool. Also, we find that when we bring our beers through these taps, they kind of soften up. They do, the bitterness is not as pronounced. And I think that has to do with the fact that carbonic acid and, and foam um, and carbonation 
exacerbates or accentuates bitterness in a way that when you pull it through this side pole, you just get the soft, creamy um, head that, that kind of creates nuance and subtlety where it may not have been there before. Yeah, it, it's amazing the different ways to pour it, but it's also that you want to drink that head. Yes, exactly. And, you know, some of these things, I think it's become this, uh, uh, I don't know, I would say maybe a little bit geeky or um, trendy <laughs> to, to to this thing where you do the Milko pours where it's all foam or like have Linko, which is partially foam and stuff like that. We don't really get into that as much, um, but people love it. Uh, and that's the other thing. Like, obviously, one of the reasons that this has become so big is because it makes for great pictures uh, and great social media posts and and everything else, which is not not a knock to it at all. I mean, we need to market everything we make and, and make people interested. So that's been uh, another thing that's been great about it. Well, it's it's like what you said about Caskill. It's another reason to get you out of your house to the pub. Yeah, talking to other people. <laughs> you know, drinking in public and, and drinking sessionable, be- sessionable beers in public. That's the other thing that's so cool about this. Like Cascale, most of the casks that we serve are sub four and a half percent. Most of the lockers we serve are sub 5.2 percent. You know, these are beers that should be consumed in large glasses uh, with friends uh, and responsibly, of course, but also sessionably uh, so you can get on with your day. Wow, you really get selling me on on Brewery Saint X. the The show we did a few years ago was about lambics. It, it was a really cool episode, and I know for one of the New York City Beer Weeks at Grand Delancey, yeah. you guys hosted uh, kind of a lambic night. Um, you can't not. I like that we started talking about B- Belgian beers. You remarked on DBA in New Orleans having Chimay on on tap, or always having the saison yeah. du um, when we talk about different Belgian beers, the same way we're talking about cask beers or side pool lagers, I feel like they're, they're it's not necessarily that it's a, a craft beer thing as much as it's um, a component of a good beverage program. Um, and I wanted to get your, your thoughts on that because I, I was thinking about a, t- a time I was at a bar in, in Amsterdam and they had their full gamut of different, you know, boutique artisan schnapps. Uh, they had their their standard Dutch Pilsner, but then they had a whole section of just of of the top Belgian Trappists in bottles, and people thought that was normal. You know that you had yeah. you had you know uh, Akel and and a few others in, in bottle available. Um, how do you feel that about that as a way to think about bars? Because I feel like if you're not a craft beer bar, you're not going to have a Belgian beer. Right. And honestly, nowadays, uh, there's fewer and fewer craft beer bars. And even those that have craft beer, they tend to focus on American styles. You know, I think it's, it's, it's crazy because, like, I mean, in the old days, I'll never forget this. When I first got started in the business, when Rochefort would come into the country and we would have it on the menu, and it was just as expensive back then as it is now, it would fly off the shelves. And Rochefort's one of the greatest Trappist breweries. They make incredible beers like the, you know, they, they make the, the six, the eight, the 10. Um, now they make a triple, but it would fly. And over time, people's interest in, 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 in Belgian beer has waned for sure. Um, and I think 
To your point, I agree with you. I think a, a great beverage menu at a bar, not just a beer bar, but just a bar, would have a certain amount of imports and you know domestic or local beers. That, that makes perfect sense. Uh, but it, it seems to be almost even harder. Maybe I'm just looking back at this with like you know nostalgic eyes. Almost even harder to find some of these beers around uh, that it used to be 20 years ago. And I think partially that's because you know it's all about uh, American uh, breweries and you know small little tap local tap rooms, but. Um, I, I'm constantly telling people like we need to keep drinking these amazing beers, like you said, like and, and learn from them, and, and 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 be like them. But you know, the other thing is, as classic styles have come more in vogue, right? Like over the, over the past few years, we had a lot of hazy IPA, fruited sours, and pastry stouts that dominated. But now things are kind of shifting back, and we have lager uh, coming around hugely, but also classic styles. It's slugger adjacent. It's not a lot of Belgian stuff. You know what I mean? Like we're seeing British style beers being made. We're seeing lots of lagers, whether it's, you know, pale lager uh, or, you know, in Czech styles like uh, Tamavi or Pola Tamavi or things like that. You're not seeing a lot of brewers making Belgian Blondale or Triple um, or Cezanne as much as they did back in like the 80s and 90s, like you mentioned. So, it is, it's, it's interesting. I hope it comes back. Um, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I think places like DBA that serve or ball, uh, <laughs> might be, their days may be numbered, you know? Yeah. It, it reminds me of you, you were talking first about, you know, your early days and meeting Michael Jackson, the great writer. But I think when, when one of his best books came out, People said that him writing about Saison Dupont, for example, saved that style. Yeah, totally did. That's what I mean. That's why uh, you know my friends Don and Wendy at Van Bergen de Wolf started importing that beer. Um, I mean, Saison uh, Dupont wasn't even making very, very much of Saison at that point. They were making mostly Moinet, the blonde and the brune, the stronger beers. Um, so. Uh, it's, it, it was interesting that that revived the, the style. And then, of course, that went on to inspire so many beers uh, in America and beyond. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, when you were doing your places in New York, uh, as it's just a different time, wasn't it? I mean, we that Jimmy's 43 opened in t- 2005. And having at least a decent lineup of, of classic Belgians was kind of the only option. Um, you know, you had, a, I had a couple American craft, but, you know, I always had sh- sh- Chimay, one Chimay on draft, you know, I had things like Aventinas as well. Um, but it, it, it rounds it out. You know, I, I remember the typical draft list we had in the early days and it had like, you know, two different types of wheat, two different types of Pilsners, two different types of IPA, two different types of dark, but, but it always had at least two or three different Belgians on, um, right. So yeah, I mean it's 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 not going to go away. But like like we just said about Michael Jackson, that that some breweries can die out, you know, if you don't drink them. So I guess if you if you love something, you have to drink it. But I want to, yeah. But I wonder though, like for us, I mean, like I don't know. I get I get so I get concerned about it because it's like I don't know who's drinking this stuff anymore. Like Aventinas uh, is is one of the greatest beers in the world. Um it's a shame that that's not available to more people um, like it used to be. 
I don't know. I, just, I think I think like a lot of things. Like I feel like that that people as they get more sophisticated, it's it's if those products are available, there's always going to be people that that'll discover them and um, come back. We'll take them on as, as long as as long as they're available, you know. Um, so on that note, I'd like to just say that um, if I have my choice of beers right now, you're you're making me think about about drinking a good Belgian right now. Um, I I'm going to seek one out, and I was going to propose perhaps at, since I'm up in Grand Delancey, or or if I visit you somewhere, maybe you put together a kind of your vision of classic Belgians, uh, like a one night, a simple little taste in Greg style. That yeah. would be pretty cool. That would be awesome. <laughs> I yeah. travel for that one. And that would be like, I mean, it's funny. I mean, there's, there's the breweries that immediately come to mind are, of course, like uh, De La Seine uh, from Brussels, Deranka, which uh, is from, you know, yeah. West, West Flanders, and then uh, Cantillon from Brussels as well. Uh, Blogie, which is one of the best, you know, farmhouse ale producers from, from Haino, uh Cezanne Dupont, we talked about. Or, well, I, would love, I would love to do that. But I, I wanted to ask you, I mean, like, you make a good point about people, you know, maybe progressing to this, but I get nervous. I mean, I, you know, there's been a lot of, 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 of American brewery closures recently. And I think this is like the, you know, the correction for the market, but I wonder sometimes if like we haven't, if, if people young, younger people now don't just associate beer with like a tap room that they like are around. Cause think about this, like, when I was a kid, uh, when you were a kid, there was no such thing as craft beer as we know it today, really. So we were reacting against our parents when we chose craft beer. It was a cool new thing. And it was weird. It was niche. It was, you, you know, something you had to seek out. But now, 20-year-olds, 20, 20 uh, 25-year-olds, they have never really lived in a world that didn't have craft beer. You know? Yeah. Um, so I wonder, like... Is this all going to even out? Like, is it, is it, are people going to be interested in things like Amentinas or, or Belgian beers if they just equate drinking craft beer with whatever local beer is around? I don't know. Well, I, I think, I think that they're classic, but for a reason. And I, I, I think that, I think that there'll be people drawn to it as long as there's people like you that, that, you know, you don't you don't have to feature them all the time, but you know, maybe you have a seasonal. Right. You know, like Todd at at Good Word has his little beer fest, oh, which yeah. is amazing for that category. You know, I, totally. I used to do a Battle of the Belgians event, going back to maybe two thousand eight, um, where I got to meet a lot of the, the the Belgian importers. I didn't realize how many different Belgian beers there were, and it was Wendy uh, Littlefield that called me out on it. Um, <laughs> so. You know, I, I think that's that this is also why we're talking is that yeah, yeah. You, you're the publican and you, you are a tastemaker. Um, I can say that and then smile because, you know, you're not just a brewery, not just a brewery pumping out your brand. You know, you're, you're putting a lot of products in front of people. For sure. And, um, you know, perhaps there's a person that's going it, to it, it's not like they're going to go to the Belgians that you're going to put it in front of them and they're going to have that taste epiphany, um, which they're not getting from an IPA. Or, you know, or or a sour, like a regular fruited sour, or that's a lager, you know, and totally. it, it works. You know, at the end of the night, it's like I remember myself. It, it was more about pacing, and it's like I had a couple drinks or, or or regular beers, and then I wanted like a Belgian triple, 
or a Belgian quad yeah. to kind of close it out. So I was drinking that instead instead of a whiskey. Um, <laughs> so you know, it's 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 it it's something that you're good at, and I know I know you're gonna wrap your head around. It. So I'm gonna. Now you've got cast down. You got side side pulls down. Um, we're, we're gonna do. You're gonna do it, and I'm gonna come to it. Some really cool Belgian tasting. All right. Well, yeah, for sure. I think we should do it together. Maybe we should re- revive the Battle of the Belgians. You know, maybe down in New Orleans. It'd be fun. Um, for sure. You know, all the importers are there, and uh, there's a lot of good people. So That's I'd love cool. to do that with you. Maybe in the winter, that would be a fun time to go to New Orleans. What's it like? Talk about the season. It's 120 degrees there now. Yeah, I know people. I know like tales of the cocktails coming up end of July. It is indeed. Yes, and that's going to be a wild blast. Um, But let's talk about about winters there because it's winter is perfect there. It's great. I mean, if you're down there in November through May, it's it's beautiful. It, It really is. I mean, it's 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 you know it's temperate. Uh, it can be a little bit warm, maybe a little stormy, but it's amazing. So that's that's really the time uh, to be there. And, you know, good for them, too, because Mardi Gras t- typically always, you know, falls in February and March. But, um, yeah, that is the time to go. Summer times are a little bit harder, unless you're going down for Tales of the Cocktail, like you said. Um, but, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's beautiful. Oh, yeah. So let's um, – we're, we're going to sign off soon, but let's say maybe uh, – January, we'll do uh, something <laughs> exactly. with Belgians. So I'd go down to New Orleans in the, the mid to end of January. I think and, that'd um, be a good time for you. Yeah, yeah, it'll be great. So, uh, Greg, anything else you want to say before we go? Because this brewery Saint X, I'm just so happy I opened that email because um, did not know you were opening a place in New Orleans, and and now it's another reason to go down there for my first for time. For sure. I mean, I think you know, it's like we're just happy to be able to to kind of uh, add to the the really the incredible food and beverage scene that's down there already. And in the Bruce and X, you know, we're we're a stone's throw from from uh, the Superdome. We are uh, a 15 minute walk from the heart of the French Quarter. Like we are we're, we're in the warehouse district. It's incredible. We we do really, really um, fantastic beers there. Alex and his team are are punching out and really, really beautiful lagers and Cascale and everything else. Shannon's doing an amazing job with, with food. So um, I think, you know, I think we should be on the, uh, on the list. When you come down to New Orleans, everybody tends to go to New Orleans from time to time. Definitely check us out. I think we're, we're providing a beer food experience that is uh, unlike any others. And um, uh, really, really excited to be there. Wow, man. Well, thanks so much. Thanks, Greg Angert, of now of Brewery St. X in New Orleans for joining me here on Heritage Radio Network. Big shout out to Matt Patterson, our, our engineer. And I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm your host on Beer Sessions Radio. We'll catch you next time. Thanks so much, guys. Woo! Thank you. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.